You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Tuchel outsmarts Conte again as Man City give Liverpool a sliver of hope. Group stage perfect Nigeria crash out of AFCON. Italy's two winningest teams play out to a stalemate. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I'm Heath Pierce, and I'm joined by James Benj to talk through a wonderful weekend of action. The Kegelasso Weekend Recap begins right now. Now, everybody, you know the drill, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening to this in audio form. Kegelasso needs your help to grow. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, hit the notification bell, and get busy in the comment section. We want to hear from you. And for those of you listening to audio, or this in audio form, please make sure you follow Kegelasso wherever you get your podcasts and take a minute to leave us a rating and review. Every little bit helps. James Binge, what is going on, man? I am I'm great. It feels like I've been a while since it's been a while since I've been with you guys. Um I have literally just got in from Stamford Bridge, which I think is where we're gonna kick things off. Um been a fun weekend, dramatic weekend across Europe. And yeah, looking forward to getting into it with you. I like it. I like it. Well, you're ju- you just got in from Stanford Bridge. I just got in from Dubai. Both of us uh, are probably a little bit uh, exhausted, mostly from uh, Arsenal's performance. Warmer than me. Yeah, I was warmer than you, but I came back here uh, to California now, spoiled, and was a little bit cold this morning. I'm g- I'm not going to lie. But you've got a sweater on, so I know you're much colder than me. So let's get into it a little bit, Benji. Uh, Chelsea versus Spurs. I mean, knowing that Chelsea won this one two nil. Who actually needed this? Re- I mean, not the, how it ended, but how it how it could have ended. Who needed this uh, result more, whether a draw or a win? I, I think in the end, it would have been more problematic for Chelsea if they'd lost, just because you know the standards there are. Li- <laughs> to Arsenal, to Arsenal fans saying this, the standards there are a little bit high. You know, you can't <laughs> afford to to lose lots of games if you're the manager of Chelsea and. I think also when you looked at the table after the game, there was just that little bit of breathing room between Chelsea in third and, and United in fourth. It feels like it's probably now we've kind of moved on from any lingering idea that this might be two teams or two teams getting third and fourth and Chelsea would be in that mix. Um, and yeah, it, it really emphasised the gap. I thought, you know, Tottenham, it just kind of proved, I think, a lot of what Antonio Conte wanted to prove and wanted to remind everyone that this team is is nowhere near and you know you're saying this in his press conference this team is nowhere near the level capable of challenging the the three best teams in England and we we certainly saw that tonight yeah and uh with Conte starting 11 what, what did you make of the team that he put out do you think that he was signaling something to the board in terms of the the, the squad that he wants to put together and then uh also with with Kane's goal I mean do you think that was rightfully disallowed obviously I watched it from home and had a chance to see the replays uh, a, a number of different ways, but let's start with the the, the eleven and uh, what would you make of it? And 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 do you think there was a little bit more to it than than just putting players on the pitch? Yeah, I mean, you look at that now. That's four fullbacks. I mean, we can debate about Sessignon, but playing that sort of four four two and a really deliberate ploy to almost strip any creativity. I know Harry Winks had had a good game against Leicester, but you know this was all creativity stripped from this team, thump the ball long to Bergwijn and Kane and, and make them do it themselves. And I think we've kind of got to factor that in with, we know Tangi and Dombele is, um, he, 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 PSG are in talks to loan him. I, also, as I understand it, the reason that um, both Lo Celso and Deli Alli were left out of this team was because was Spurs are kind of keen to move on from them if any offers come in between now and the end of the month. So it, it's quite curious that, 
that Conte and and those above him are quite willing to to gut this squad and really trim it back when they've spoken about the desire to to strengthen and that you you could well end January with Spurs not having you know the two hundred midfielders they spent a hundred million pounds on just over two years ago and Deli Ali who we probably many of us thought was going to be a hundred million pound player and that, that they could all be going for next to nothing uh, on the Kane goal when I saw it I saw sort of some, some of the replays but none of the commentary I thought it looked like a pretty clear foul I did also think he would not you know if if Paul Tierney had said mm, that's fair enough I didn't think VAR would overrule it but I thought it was the right decision I don't know about you yeah, I agree. I think uh, anytime the hard part is in, in real time, obviously, as soon as they go to replay, then you just get a better look. And now I, I do think he made a meal of, of falling and whatever. But anytime you see it's just like on a, on a shirt pull, like when you go into full extension or you see a shirt pull in a replay and it's slowed down, you have a player with a fully extended arm. It doesn't matter how hard they push. It seems like you're freeing up space. And now in real time in a box, if there's people everywhere and it's not isolated like that, does that happen constantly? Of course it does, because everybody's looking for an inch or an advantage but unfortunately in that context wide open good angle of the field had a lot of good replay angles obviously i think it's the right thing uh to call back you know better than me as a as a former center back what do you do in a position like that because it's i mean it almost felt like tiago silva was kind of diving a bit and playing for that foul but obviously it's maybe different if you're a forward but if you're that center you know as we saw if the foul hadn't gone against Kane, everyone would be going, what yeah. was Thiago doing? That's so stupid yeah, and so risky. I'd, I'd have been furious, right? I, and I, I've been in situations like that where you look to your your, your partner, whether you're a, a fullback or or center half, and you go, what are you doing? Like you're in good position, right? Position to make the play. And then you fall forward trying to draw a foul. You're a defender. You should never be trying to draw a foul. You're in a good spot to make the play. And I feel like he maybe overcommitted a little bit to that near post and wasn't going to recover. Uh, but but good on him for, for, for drawing that. Obviously, the game is scrutinized completely differently. And he, he probably players are learning, I think, in their mind to be able to work those advantages, knowing. But again, that's a high risk situation yeah. that he, that he got away with in that one. That could have changed the 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 direction of of the match. One of the other things I wanted to talk to you about was the fans throwing lighters at Rudiger. Um, you know, the same thing happened at Goodison Park. Being somebody as close to the Premier League as you are, uh, what do you think the, the ramifications of these types of things should be? Or what do you think the right um, punishment should be to fans that are throwing? And we're seeing, like, we, we, used to, we used to glorify things coming on the field because of atmosphere, right? You used to talk about, especially when you had the streamers and those types of things. Culturally, you go to Central South America. It's a big part of the, the, the game there. But now we're starting to see players being hit with projectiles and things starting to change because we've got cameras everywhere. I mean, what what do you think? Uh, you know, what do you think should happen in these types of situations? Yeah, it's super strange and, and really unpleasant. And I think one thing that's really worth pointing out: the reason, I mean, aside from him being a Chelsea player, one of the reasons that there are issues between Tottenham fans and Antonio Rudiger is he made allegations of, of racist abuse from Spurs fans. That you know, whilst they're not were not proven. You know, that doesn't mean you can sort of discount them and assume he's lying. And I think that's one of the really unpleasant bits about this is that's where the animosity comes from. Lifetime ban, simple as. I mean, I've been at, obviously I was there on Thursday night at the Emirates. We had several people on the pitch um, before full time just because they were bored. And, you know, something, something bad will happen. Like something, whether it's from someone throwing something on the pitch or someone coming on the pitch, you know, there, there will be consequences. This, and all you can do is make sure that fans that thinking about it know. Well, if I throw something, if I come on the pitch, this is the last time I'm ever coming to a Premier League match. And and guess what? If you do that, 
it will it will stop quite quickly. Yeah, and Chelsea. Uh, I, and by the way, I fully agree with you. I think it, it, it's hard because the sometimes player players on the pitch we we welcome that energy from the fans. Right, oh. we score a goal, we jump into the fans, we do all these interactions that break that fourth wall, and at times. It can be hard for for fans to realize, and I think fans understand. You belong. You, you you're paying for a ticket into the stands. There is a a, a barrier, or it needs to be a safe distance. Obviously, with COVID, I think it's changed that, and now with cameras, it's changing the fact that you can see and watch everything. It feels like everyone's under on CCTV now uh, at any angle, which I think I think is good. But you're right. It's 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 all well and well. It's all good and well until something really bad actually happens, right? And that's where it ends up. Where then they have to go back and go, oh yeah, that's what we were trying to prevent. It's it's like most security measures that exist. They're 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 to prevent uh, uh, actual uh, harm, like and not not just to be sticklers for a rule or or oh. to you know be the fun police. Uh, so I, I agree with that. Uh, Chelsea aren't back in action, uh, uh, EPL action until February the nineteenth versus Crystal Palace. I mean, how how imp- I mean, do you think that's a good thing having that that long of a window? Do you think it's a it's bad a, thing? It's a great thing for me. I'm yeah. just looking at like next week going, I've got a natural weekend off. Yeah. Um, and there's so many Premier League players that, that kind of feel the same as well. It's sort of bizarre how this winter break has, has fallen. And obviously for for someone like Christian Pulisic, there's no winter break this year. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, big games on the horizon. But um, everyone needs it. Everyone's really tired. I think the Christmas period in the, in the Premier League with the, the COVID cases was really stressful. Um, kind of for everyone associated with the game, you know, not knowing whether it was safe to go to grounds, all those things. So I think just taking a little bit of a breather, enjoying that international week. And um, I mean, for some for some teams, it's, you know, no FA Cup as well. It's, it's probably too long a break, but yeah. everyone needs one right now. And and for those uh, uh, within the restrictions right now of the UK, you have some players that might have some actual time off. Uh, I mean, do you expect there to be... Go abroad as well, like a proper do, I holiday. Mean, but that's what I mean. Do you think there's going to be some sort of... Um, parameters put in place by these clubs to make sure that their players are protected or not going to certain places or do you expect guys to sort of or do, you know should i have stayed in dubai for an extra week to hang out with some of your <laughs> no, mates? you should have you, should, you know arsenal are going to genuinely arsenal are going to dubai you could have hung out with them and i know um newcastle are going to saudi arabia a, a fair few clubs are, are doing this sort of thing um just because i, I interestingly man united aren't because i think they don't have enough people, players vaccinated they'd have to leave too many people at home um but yeah i th- you know i think it's a it's a these these things always they think they think of them as you know let's work on our tactics let's work on x y and z and it never quite works out like that it always seems to be you know you always get some good drama and some interesting stories coming off the back of these and people that that go a bit too far and 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 create nuisance i'm I'm looking forward to that side of of it yeah yeah. it'll be needed It'll be easy riding for you. But I think the hardest part, and and then we'll move on to the the, the Palace-Liverpool game, at least for me, the hardest part for that I think I would have suffered with as a player, and we're we're all going through it, right, as humans, uh, this COVID stuff. But a player who has a certain type of lifestyle, and it sounds spoiled, and it is spoiled, uh, has been locked down for a long time, mm. right? Uh, and and they're privileged, revoked, and and normalized. And I'm not giving any credit to any of the, this privilege, but I do think it's been a big major struggle for a number of these players who are foreign based or yeah. living alone or isolated from family. People forget that, yeah, okay, yeah, you have privilege, you have money, you have everything. You're playing in the Premier League, but you're also alone a lot of time. Many of them alone, away from mm. family, you know, or away from any any of their their network. And I think these types of things are super important just for the mental health. Uh, uh, of side of it because I can only imagine what what a number of the players 
and and people like yourself working in the media have gone through over the last couple of years uh, through through the sort of web and uh, what ebb and flow of of, of COVID in in your in your in your country. Yeah, I think it's uh, you really hit the nail on the head when you talk about the you know this is just a, an incredibly international league. And you've had guys that have moved out to the UK as well and, and, and basically moved, almost moved into lockdown. I remember that happening with the likes of, of Havertz and Werner, and it was really tough for them. And then, you you know, you are to an extent more vulnerable to COVID. You know, we've seen all those sort of mini outbreaks within within Premier League clubs. And, oh, you know, that must be absolutely terrifying. Because, and also because it's... It, it's all much more public. Like, you know, quite often we do know about your coat and, you know, we, people get judged for having COVID, which is dreadful and shouldn't be the case, but it's everything about it is you're doing this under a really intense spotlight. And if you happen to get, you know, people asking questions about whether you're vaccinated, all these, it's tough. And I hope they do. uh, Most of them get to enjoy their time off. Uh, None of the U S contingent though, absolutely incredibly stressful and important time for them. So gutted. I fully agree, um, but that's part of uh, that's part of the privilege we've talked about. Is uh, is pressure is a privilege. Moving on to the Crystal Palace, Liverpool, uh, Crystal Palace one, Liverpool three, playing away from home. Liverpool get the result. They're nine points behind the leaders with a game in hand. Do you think that the Reds can realistically catch City at this point, or are we going to constantly say, okay, um, you know, uh, Man City, they have a little bit of a hiccup here, and then you know the gap gets smaller. These ga- the hard part is that speculation of the games in hand that we don't usually mm. have. Maybe you usually have one, but there's so many weird numbers right now within the league. But with nine points behind and a, and a game in hand, I mean, do you think that they could realistically catch uh, Manchester City? Yes, I think they are still really good. The the the, the trade off is that they're basically going to have to go not too far out off like a hundred percenting the second half of the season. I, I, I miss it. I can't, they've not played city twice, have they? So, you know, that's three more points you can claw back when your game in hand, then it's three points. Now it's a real title race. And, um, you know, the, the standards here are, it reminds me of the Mourinho's Real Madrid versus Pep's Barcelona, that era in La Liga where it's like, you know, a draw is a crisis. Um, and so Liverpool are going to have to reel off the results, but they're about to get a lot stronger. Uh, I think the players they've had have done a really good job. But when you have Salah and Mane back and, and they should be for the next Premier League game, it, it, it's a different proposition. And, and in the meantime, Diogo Jota up there with the best forwards in the league, although, and I know this is on our running order, one of the worst decisions I've seen all season was handing him a penalty. I know that that slowing it down makes it look odd, but the guy misses the ball, yeah. runs into Quaita, and gets a penalty for it. I, I, I don't like going into in, in on referees. I don't like talking about VAR as a whole that much. But come on, that it, it's awful. Yeah, I mean, those are the ones that I I, I just go and, and Jimmy has argued for this. Um, uh, you know, Luis Garcia has argued for this. Having a a, a former player in the room to be able to sit and go, oh yeah, that, I mean, watch where the touch goes or the lack thereof to to give you context of the moment. And you say, okay, there's contact, but like contextually, it's like what we used to see where, where, you know, and Ronaldo was famous for this is taking the 40 yard touch, dragging the feet and get taken down for a penalty. And you go, oh yeah, it's a penalty because he wiped him out. But his touch is is in like the third row of the stands right now. Like where, what was, what could have possibly happened uh, that, that was prevented by, by there being contact. Another thing uh, from from that that the the match uh, was the the ox goal. 
um, there was an offside situation where, you know, a fullback, and I, I remember going through this as well as a player where you're dropping in to get goal side of a player that you assume is onside, but you don't know. So you drop in to, to uh, and there's an offside player in an offside position. The ball gets past both of you. Obviously, it's a, it's a great finish uh, on the back post, but uh, do you think that should be called when a player is obstructed in this? Did you get a chance to uh, see what, what exactly happened yeah, in, that, in that moment? I saw it. I, I thought it was I thought it was a fiddly one. Actually, I think you, you probably explain it better than better than me because I mean I, I there is always this gray area though isn't there about yeah. when someone's active and when they're not and I do I do sometimes just wish it, it you know it it got went kind of back a few years to when it was a bit clearer cut yeah. and you know you, you take out take out things like whether they're active when the pass is played if you know are they offside yeah. simple as that I think to an extent with a lot of these things we are hugely overcomplicated and I think that's the same with the Jota penalty where you're kind of looking for reasons to you know get into a debate about it where it should just be like yes or no oh you know, Natalie I, I by, by the way Natalie Natalie's saying right now that she disagrees on the penalty call that Jota was clattered by the goalkeeper um, but he lost control love- of the ball he lost control of the ball I, I agree I mean this is the this is the part that I'm that I try to argue sometimes is Sometimes you see a goalkeeper come out and be big, right? And they can hit somebody and they make a play or they can make contact. And and, it, and contextually, it's different. But when you slow it down, yes, there is contact there. But but again, that, that loss of possession or that bad touch or lack thereof, I think there's some some gray area in there that I think is missing from from making calls. And by the way, I want to know if anybody who's who's watching this, um, uh, was it a penalty or not? We'd love to get everyone's take on that. We'll, we'll have our producer, Des, uh, throw them up on the, on the screen if, if you jump in in, in the conversation. Um, but again, uh, t- t- before we j- move on that, that the offside call was is hard because naturally as a defender, you're always going to go to the, to the nearest man, right? You're pinching in. And when a player's off, I think back then there used to be a little bit more clear cut of a, of a onside or offside is the player involved or not. And, and now, you know, linesmen rightfully so following the rules are meant to keep their flags down and everything extends and the play goes on. And so you're forced to sort of play out these situations, not knowing what it was going to be. Whereas if if you're normally a defender, you look down your line, you go, okay, I see where the line is, and that guy's behind me, so he's definitely offside. Um, but now you have to play play through that, and then you pinch in on that, you end up leaving a man on your back post. And again, circumstantially, it's easy to look back and when you get scored on and say, hey, what happened here? Because um, you shouldn't have a player that open on the back post either. Um, but yeah, uh, but Stu Stu MC or uh, says not a penalty. Jota initiates contact by drifting. Uh, not a, not a bad shout there. Um, uh, Benj, I've tried to stick on this topic as long as we could Liverpool palace, because you know who the next team is that we're going to talk oh. about in, in the run of show Burnley arsenal arsenal in 2022, five games in all competitions, two goals scored five conceded three red cards, three defeats, zero wins. It, are, are you getting to a point that you're worried? I, you know, I've, I've personally tried to contextualize arsenal as give them two games at a time before mm. you start to judge. And now we've started the year with, with, uh, with not the, the greatest of form, um, not a lot of easy, easy, uh, easy games, but you, then yeah. you look at a game like this against Burnley, and you go, "Well, you should definitely on paper beat this team." Mm, but the chance creation was there. There was a, you know, Lacazette missed his chances, and you know, we've talked it, and we, you know, there are almost eight days now to really address the issue with this Arsenal team, get that striker in Vlahovic or anyone else, um, and then I think you might see a very different Arsenal. But also, you know, if you kind of Look at this in the macro. Yes, the, the you know the defeats to to Liverpool over two legs disappointing, but what you would have expected, Nottingham Forest 
I think you can almost write that off. It, again, it's Arsenal, it's the FA Cup, they should do better. But in the end, if you kind of look at January for what really matters for them this season, trying to get back in the top four, they've got two points fewer than you would have said they would would have. You know, they lost to City, yes, but fantastic. You know, better team against City. And here, you know, these games, these games happen and they will happen to every top four contender. You know, the games were, and quite a few of them will involve Burnley. You know, yeah. they will just. I mean, some, we're seeing that with Norwich right now, right? Where teams yeah. are, are, are taking hits. Yeah, they are a really horrible team to play against. And, and you know, there was some fairly cynical time-wasting tactics mm-hmm. from early on. But that's, you know, Burnley's purview. They need the points. Actually, the issue your issue should be with the referee. It should have been more than four minutes added time. But, yeah, I'm not too worried. I think they understand that there's a big, uh, a lot of work to do in the next few days. Can they move out of Bamiyang, move in someone else? Um, it's still there. I mean, this is going to be, it's going, and we'll talk about the, the Saturday games as well. This is going to be the big, exciting bit, I think, of the... Unless Liverpool do keep this title race alive, I think the top four race could be the most exciting, the thing with the most twists and turns, because there's four teams right in the mix right now. Yeah, that's well said. Are there any any, any final thoughts from the from the Burnley-Arsenal Burnley, Burnley Arsenal game? Obviously, you know, you said it well, chance creation was there. It's not a, a necessarily a moment to panic, but when you look at it as a sample size, you go, okay, you're out of two cups, and 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 now you you gave up points uh, to a Burnley side who's dead last in the league, you know? Yeah. And and I know it's not like what happened, it's how it happened, and I know there's, there was positivity to, take, positivity to take out of that. Do you think that, the only chance of that top four is 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 by signing a striker and and the team changes that whole dynamic. Or do you think there's more at, uh, more at play uh, or more needed for this team to be a legitimate top four contender? I think the striker could get you there. Uh, I I still exist in this world of uh, Granite Jacker is. There are games where he really improves Arsenal, but there are games where he they cost. And the thing is, he hasn't just cost Arsenal points again. Or you know the the the, the AFL Cup first leg semi-final first leg against Liverpool he cost them because then the second leg they had to play Sambi Laconga and they had to bring on Thomas Partey um, and then he cost them today because he wasn't around today and I, I think there is a you know going back to what you're saying about three red cards it's 14 red cards under Arteta more than anyone else um, in his time in charge six more than anyone else there's a hot-headed or a, a lack of a mixture of hot-headedness from people like Xhaka and a sort of lack of game intelligence that I think might let them down. And that the reason that they didn't win today is probably because they couldn't play Xhaka and they couldn't play Thomas Partey, who got rushed back in, in midweek and, and got a silly, uh, silly red card. So, yeah, I'm, I'd like an upgrade in midfield, but get the striker in and they, they may well finish fourth. Well said, well said. And Dan Kane says the relegation battle is also going to be one to watch uh, in the Premier League as well. Yeah. Uh, let's throw up the, the, the rest of the results from the weekend on the screen. Obviously, uh, from Saturday we saw one-one with with uh, Brighton, Brighton, Leicester, uh, and then on Sunday Aston Villa getting that one-nil over Everton. Uh, Wolves beating Brentford, uh, Leeds losing one-nil to Newcastle. Uh, it's a shame Jimmy wasn't here. I'm assuming Jimmy took the day off because he got that <laughs> W and just felt that he well, he deserved I mean, it. You, yeah, exactly. I mean, it's it's Newcastle winning, yeah. so like it's not like it's going to eat into too much of his time off. Yeah, and then many of them. Exactly. And Man United get the win over West Ham 1 0, and then Southampton, Man City 1 1. Do do, do any of these matches that we haven't talked about stand out to you uh, or anything worth mentioning? Well, you know, talking about um, what our commenters were were saying about the relegation battle, Everton losing to Aston Villa, 
they are looking super vulnerable. I, I, I wrote in a piece for CBS uh, Sports last week that I think you are a, an injury to one or both of Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin away from, from this team being bad enough to get relegated. And I don't even think Aston Villa are very good. And I can say that because Luis isn't here. Yeah, I know. Um, we got a, this is a safe space this weekend. Exactly. Yeah. Other than that, I mean, you know, if teams like Newcastle are going to start picking up points when they don't play well, I didn't think they were great. Um, I, I think that, you know, that, that could do really well. Apparently as well, though, Stu MC uh, in the comments wants us to talk about why Declan Rice doesn't get criticised more often. Um, I have to say, yeah, every game that Stu's mentioned there, he was not at his best. But I tell you what, he was fantastic against uh, Man United. I thought he was excellent. And like a, it was a sort of walking advertisement for why um, for why Man United need to sign him. So Stu, he doesn't get criticised because he's one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. Yeah, it's not, it's not a bad shout. I mean, doesn't leave you absolved from... But I, I do know... Um, you know, with with a few injuries coming back, there was there was some happiness within the, within the Villa fans knowing that Declan Rice, who who hadn't been in the best of form um, in the last few weeks, but overall, uh, you know, one that usually comes around positive positive news and performances. Um, let's let's move on to, to to Afcon a little bit. So we have the start of the round of sixteen. Burkina Faso went one one with Gabon. Uh, Bertrand Traore opened it and was canceled out in the ninety plus one minutes. Ten men Gabon take it to penalty shootouts. 18 penalties required to settle the game, and there was a tournament record 16 cards brandished. And by the way, Burkina Faso won that one 7-6 in penalties. That is Pretty. pure AFCON, that, isn't it? That's 100% <laughs> undiluted AFCON. Oh, truly. Eight, 18 pens, 16 cards brandished. Everybody got one one of everything, you know, nearly uh, in, in that game. Uh, I mean, overall, this is... this is, And, and we'll get to, to the... To, to the uh, African World Cup qualifying draw because it plays into this a little bit of just the excitement of of, of Afcon and Tunisia. By the way, uh, getting that one nil uh, over over Nigeria, uh, sending the Super Eagles packing out of this. Uh, it will be had a red card in this one, and Maduko Okoye had a howler. Um, this leads me to the the Afri- uh, the the African World Cup qualifying draw. Right, we've got Egypt playing Senegal, Cameroon playing Algeria, and Ghana playing Nigeria. Um, for the playoff to get into the world cup. And you look at again, the AFCON and the amount of upsets and the amount of teams that went home, uh, including some of these teams in this playoff, uh, a number of them going home early, some of the smaller nations, just how difficult it is to qualify in, in um, for, for the world cup. And again, you have Egypt, Senegal, Cameroon, Algeria, Ghana, Nigeria, Congo playing Morocco and Mali, uh, Tunisia. I mean, how, James, just in your experience, seeing how, how hard it is for teams to get through at the African Cup of Nations, and now you have these types of playoffs mm. and these matchups that it's, a sh- it's almost a shame that you look at it and you say, Ghana, Nigeria, only one of them is going to the World Cup, this World Cup. Cameroon, Algeria, only one of them is going to the World Cup. And then again, Egypt, Senegal, it just feels a little unfair. Going to the amount of teams, and I know going into 2026, there'll be more teams, but it, we, we've argued a lot about what's the di- most difficult sort of region or, or or confederation to have to qualify in. And people constantly say Africa just because of the amount of teams oh, and the yeah. amount of quality. You don't get to see it till you see an AFCON. You say, okay, oh, wow, there's some upsets. Gabon w- without an uh, Aubameyang goes this deep into the tournament, almost taking down a team to go to the to, to go even even deeper into the quarterfinals. Uh, I mean, what's your thought on on the amount of teams they get into the World Cup? Oh, it's, it's nowhere near enough. I mean, I, I think... Maybe you look at we've got ten teams here. I think eight, seven or eight of them 
at the very least. And we've seen some great stuff like um, Tunisia today. That was an understrength Tunisia, just held firm, wait, waited for Nigeria to make their mistakes. You know, it, that we are missing out on really good teams, frankly, to get some pretty ordinary teams in from places like Europe. Um, and I, I, you know, I know that there are plenty of European teams that I would happily sacrifice for whichever one of Egypt and Senegal, uh, same without Cameroon and Algeria, whichever one of them misses out. Um, I could, I'd happily swap you them for, um, Serbia, let's say. Yeah. No, that's I, not I mean, fair. I like Serbia. Um, uh, you know what I mean? Like there's some such quality and I think what AFCON shows and, you know, in the States and in, in the UK, we don't see the world cup qualifiers. We don't see the kind of, uh, until we get to this final stage, we don't always see that much international African football outside of AFCON. I think what's been really apparent this year is that there's a rising tide. Maybe the best teams are not, have not been exceptional. You know, we saw that with Ghana. I don't think Senegal, who are the team I really like the look of before the tournament, definitely not set the competition alight yet. Um, and obviously Nigeria who had, uh, have gone. So, there's quite a good competitive balance. And that's kind of why I'd like more African teams here. Because also, if you have something like, you know, this this setup here, it's possible that we don't get the best teams. You know, we're, we're going to lose one of Egypt and Senegal. We're going to lose one of uh, Nigeria and, and, and Ghana, although that's just going to be an incredible matchup. Um, you know, just the Twitter. Um, <laughs> when that Ghana playing Nigeria, I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it. But it's. It, I do think the World Cup and international football is missing out a lot through not seeing more of these African teams performing on the highest level. People always say, well, why don't they go deep into tournaments? It's because hardly any of them. You know, there are so many teams from Europe, so many yeah. teams from South America who, who do deserve them to be there. But, you know, that's why they don't get to go deep because there's only three or four of them. And it's, it's hard, you know, if you get one or two bad teams or teams that arrive at the wrong moment, it means you don't have a chance to have a, an African semi-finalist, but it'll happen very soon. Yeah, you're certainly right on that. I think the hard the hard part is is figuring out the system in which they they come in because you see this especially on the, in the women's World Cup side. There's so many developing football nations that it's hard to put together a full 32 of strength from regions based on certain rules. Right? You mm. almost want you almost start to bend them because you go, wow, all the more developed parts. But you're like, well, the importance of developing nations, the importance of bringing exposure and money and all these things to help these nations develop. It's a really interesting conversation for another day that we'll, we'll save. But I certainly think when you look at on paper, those teams going through also anybody that's, that's uh, that that's watching this right now, who do you think is going to be the teams or who do you think the teams are going to be that, uh, that qualify in the playoff um, out of, out of uh, Africa? We'd love to know. James, is there any sure shot in that list of a team that you say for sure is going to go through? No, um, I thought Cameroon had been great, but Alge- I, th- I think the interesting thing with teams like Algeria and Ghana in particular, are they going to have something, you know, something that spurs them on having been knocked out of AFCON so early on? Will that, will that change things? I still do really like Senegal because they're not going to concede silly goals. That's a, a big, big thing, especially when you get to this stage of a, mm-hmm. a qualifier. I don't know about you, any that you think are definitely through? I don't. This is the hard part because I'm almost because of recency bias of of AFCON. I go, man, Algeria were two matches away from setting a a new record that was Italy. And before that, Spain, you're like, you're in really uncharted waters there that no matter who you play in US, US had the most wins, I think, in 21 because you had a whole bunch. You played the most games and you had all these 
things. And so you go, okay, well, maybe you can put that all together. Algeria played in the, 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 um, the Arab cup and these types of things where they're the favorite and you can string these together, but you go, you're close to breaking a record. At some point you had to play a bunch of hard teams and still you've continued to get results. And so I don't really have one that, that, uh, that I think is a sure shot. I think again, um, looking at that, at, at those teams, it's just more than anything a little bit disappointing to 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 know that some of them, some of our premier favorite Premier League players, aren't going to be at the World Cup because of uh, a playoff. But you know, these is the rules, James. So we'll have to we'll have to write letters to uh, FIFA and maybe complain about uh, the way it works. And someday they'll do qualifying all over the world, and everybody will play everybody, and it'll be a different type of thing, more democratic approach than just uh, confederations. But everyone, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back. We've still got Syria, La Liga, and much, much more. We'll be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner, from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. All right, everyone, we are back. Heath Pierce, James Binge, we continue on with our weekend recap. Moving over to Serie A, James Binge, Zlatan subbed off early with an injury in the Milan versus Juventus draw. This is one, and I haven't said this in a long time, James, and I, because I refuse to go back to stereotypes. It was not that exciting. The pitch oh. was bad. It, 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 it felt like at times there were counterattacks, but, uh, but then they would lead to nothing. That would lead to the other team going back the other way. It seemed like a whole lot of nothing going on in this. Obviously, finishing uh, nil-nil. Uh, obviously, in my opinion, this hurts Milan more than it hurts Juventus. Juventus have been on a great run as of late. Getting a draw away from home against Milan seems like a good result overall. Um, obviously, di- surely disappointed knowing the form that they've been in. But who do you think needed the win more in this one as well? Yeah, they, well, they had this thing. Uh, I don't think this is an example of it, but late in, in in the season in Italy, they have the thing. I believe they call a biscotto. Uh, you know, let, we'll both take the draw. It suits both of us, and I don't think this is a million miles away. From I think this. they call that match fixing. Uh, if, uh, well, if, if, if I'm <laughs> welcome to Italy. <laughs> I think that's called cacciapoli. Yeah. It happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a sort of nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But there, no, there I, is there is accusations of teams in, in, in Syria quite regularly complaining that some of the teams aren't competing for results that are top of the table or looking to split points or or whatever. Well, I mean, that is a real thing that, that gets discussed regularly. 
Yes, and I, let this be super clear. I'm not suggesting anything like that. But what I am kind of of the view of is that I think a draw was not great for either team. But I think towards the end, you kind of go, "I, it's we don't want to lose this." You know, for both for you know for either team, it, it's about the momentum as much as it's always worth gambling on losing one point to get three. I think for Milan, they're not still not out of Inter aren't out of sight yet. They're not over the the corner for Juventus, as you, as you said, Heath. It's just about not letting uh, you know not letting a defeat slip in. About really building the momentum that that didn't exist in the, in that first half of the season. I also think you know Milan have got they've got Atalanta as a little bit of a buffer below them. There's a a decent enough gap on in terms of points. So I feel like. In the end, the reason this was a bit boring is because deep down, I think they were both just kind of a little bit happy to sort of say, "Yeah, we're not gonna, not gonna bust the gut to uh, and and risk losing our one point and and risk losing a bit of momentum to get three. Yeah, that was rubbish. Fair. I don't it, know how it, we're gonna talk anymore. I, about I mean, it. I, I mean, I I agree with you. Uh, you look at you look at it on paper. You go Milan Juventus, man. This is this is the, I, my weekend set, you know. And this is one that didn't live up to. The expectation of just poor passing, poor pass. I mean, Juventus looked a little bit better in terms of pattern play, rhythm, build up as you expect. Milan just seemed like they're they they want to grind out results, and when it's not working, it's not working. And even just simple like technical stuff would just seemed off, and the pitch and everything just felt a little bit off in this one, or at least underwhelming when you when you put uh, those two teams on 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 a on a on a match day and and don't get more out of it. Let's let's move on then from there. We'll go to Napoli, Salernitana, Napoli winning four one over Salernitana, and Signe. Uh, Ties Maradona's goal scoring tally uh, at 115. Uh, obviously, uh, a huge, huge accomplishment. Still has time to go before he moves on from the club. Uh, did, do you have any, any any takeaways from Napoli and where they're falling into to the table this season? I think, and we'll come on to talk talk about sort of Inter grinding out a, a good result against a, a hard fighting Venezia. I mean, at the moment, it's probably about sort of tying up Champions League. I'm really enjoying the way that Insigne has just sort of said, I'm going to hang around and, and have a bit of fun and then I'm going to get my money, a lot of it, at Toronto, uh, yeah. and that he can do things. You know, I remember this, there was a similar thing with Juice Mertens, wasn't there, where he came quite close to leaving, but was like, well, I want that scoring record. Uh, you know, the, uh, it's, it's really cool. Uh, they're always a, a fun team to watch, you know, seeing the highlights from from today's game at, Napoli put on a show every time, and uh, I think especially with Insigne, I think he I, he he's a t- it's like those you remember like the, you know the final seasons you get of, particularly in like US sports. I think you do have players do like a a retirement season. I'm bowing out, and I'm getting the the adulation uh, a few more times, and it feels like Insigne is getting that, and that's super cool for such a special, unique player. I fully agree. And then my final question of that is a lot of the talk for us has been uh, inter AC Milan sort of title race contenders. Do you think Napoli still have a shot at this or, or, or do you think that they're more of like finishing, finishing the top, finish second place, finish third place, keep their spot because they're, they're right there. They're, they're in front of AC Milan on points, but do they have enough firepower? Do they have enough weaponry and consistency? Do you think to be able to, uh, to, to pass by inter Milan? Yeah, for sure. I, I don't think they will, but you know, Ozim Hen's back. Um, I, I, as you say, Insigne, Mertens is is good for for the odd game still. Like they've got everything. I don't know if it'll be enough because and Francesco Porzio wrote fantastically about that, that this week that that it, that Inter are just that level above. Um, 
But I, I certainly think it, and we all want it to be an Inter versus Milan title race because it's just great, and, you know. But Napoli absolutely do not count them out. And for Insigne, you're looking at that picture as well. How special would it be for him to to add a Scudetto? The the the, the thing that Maradona accomplished that no other Napoli team has. I'm, I think, yeah, I'm not ruling them out at all. I like that. I like that. Well said. Um, and then uh, quick thoughts uh, on any of the other uh, matches from the weekend. Empoli losing 4-2 to Roma. Uh, your boy Tammy Abraham continues to be on yeah. quite, a, quite a tear right now. One that we expected, um, but was a little bit hit or miss. And it's sort of been the bright spot of, of, of an otherwise, uh, what feels like an underwise, otherwise underwhelming season for Jose Mourinho, for Jose Mourinho standards, um, but continuing to carry that team. Enter. Winning 2-1, as you mentioned, grinding out a result against Venezia. I didn't watch this one. I always tune into this. Obviously, there's three Americans at the club. Uh, but when I looked, I saw that Venezia had subbed out all three of their midfielders and both of their strikers at some point in the match. All five mm-hmm. of those no longer on the field, just probably having to hustle and grind only to fall short of, of a result, but looking to just defend it out, um, weren't able to do so. And then Lazio Atalanta finishing nil-nil. Uh, do any one of those matches stand out to you or one that you want to talk about? Yeah, I want to talk about Tammy. He's fantastic. And I I remember when he moved, all the underlying stats from Chelsea just said, this is a guy that gets in goal-scoring positions and gets good shots away. And, it, you know, that at Chelsea, maybe it was a bit hard. He didn't have the right... You know, he and Tuchel hadn't quite clicked. And he maybe... Chelsea just wanted something a bit more. But this guy's such a good striker. If you see that, that I think it was the second one he scored where someone just hits a shot, it hits him and he has the instinctive reaction to to turn and score. That is that is top quality striking. Um I think I think he should be back in the England squad soon. He he's showing everything and it's it's really cool seeing English players do this abroad because it used to be that no one would ever travel much further south than Portsmouth. So good on Tammy and uh yeah, I look forward to seeing him in an England shirt, I hope. Yeah, such a bizarre thing for, I'm sure, the English fan to now see some of the other players looking at Jaden Sancho, uh, Bellingham, a number of these guys that are, whether they're, they're you know, uh, started in, in the first team or went off at a young age, knowing that their minutes might be elsewhere. Uh, to take the chance, I think that's a huge thing. It's very, very easy when you have the biggest club and uh, biggest league in the world in your backyard uh, to be comfortable falling to a smaller club that might actually not fit your style of play. And I think that used to be what we saw in the past is you'd see a player come from a big club to a smaller club. and it, it can be a hindrance to their career with with super young talents mm-hmm. um, having to go to a club where, oh, yeah, you're going to get minutes, but you're m- probably going to be lumping the ball, scrapping for relegation battles, things like that. They're now looking beyond uh, the borders to to get their minutes and develop as players, which I, I really um, respect. Want to know from anybody else that's that's watching this, by the way, um, what your what your favorite result of, of, of the weekend was of any of these types of uh, of any of the leagues we've talked about so far. And by the way, Napoli debuted their ninth kit of the season today. Wonderful. Um, the only team that has more, more kits than that um, is, is Arsenal, I believe. Arsenal. Yeah, they all look so good. <laughs> yeah, they are. They, they do a, a great job um, of, of designing kits. That's one thing that I, I got to give them credit for. Um, let's move on to La Liga. So the main takeaways from this weekend and uh, want to get your thoughts on, on any of these as I, as I say them, Real Madrid, Elche, uh, finished 2-2, second time that the sides met this week after Hazard secured a comeback win in the Copa del Rey. Uh, Militao uh, spared Madrid's blushes with an injury time equalizer. It's kind of wild when that happens in these types of games. Sevilla dropping points to Celta uh, makes the resort more palatable to uh, for Ancelotti and co. Um, 
do you do you think that there's some worry there of having to have that stoppage time um, equalizer or having to have a comeback uh, in the Copa del Rey? Do you think that they're hitting a little bit of fatigue of the season, or do you think that they're just you know ultimately they got to draw and they got to win um, and and they keep moving? Yeah, I, I thought the big thing was um, did Benzema not take take some sort of knock? I believe in this game, and uh, it, it almost the real issue is you've got the Champions League coming up. Uh, I, th- I think the title and all that is is done. And you know, I always seem to come on these pods and express my deep boredom at La Liga, but it it's just been that season. I think they're gonna they'll be all right. Um, but yeah, I would be very worried about whether Benzema will be fit in time for PS PSG. Yeah, geez. Yeah. Wow, man. Champions League's far Champions off, though, coming up. That's crazy. Yeah, you're right. Um, and I mean, that plays into some of these Champions League uh, things for, for the Premier League teams that, that got a little bit of a break. But uh, moving on to Barcelona. Barcelona. Uh, I said Barcelona. Barcelona Alves. Um, Barcelona Alves. Alves at home. Uh, Barcelona win this one in the 89th minute. Frankie de Jong uh, is the hero. Comes to the rescue. Obviously, he's linked with a loan uh, with a Bayern move. Uh, Bayern move. The Dembele drama continues after the player didn't report to the pregame meeting, claiming an upset stomach, which the club called a no-show. I had this as well, where I had some of these types of things. Um, let's take a look at the, the tweet. We'll throw that up on the screen. Yeah, I suspect um, you weren't paid as much as Dembele. No, I, I was it. not. But I, I experienced the same sort of thing where the club, like I was doing something, came back from a training camp where I was, I was told I could come back a day later, came back and they're like, oh, he didn't show up. Yeah, and then we find me and then the club tried to like push me out for a, a little bit um, as well, trying to push this drama on me to move me out of the club. Obviously, I was not playing at Barcelona and nobody really cared what was going on. But the people in my area sure turned their back on me until I had to win them back uh, in the Bundesliga a a while later. But uh, expected, uh, what's this say here? Expected at Ciudad Sportiva, Joan Kemper this morning. First team player, Osman Dembele, was a no-show due to a stomach upset. It's just Uh, not very subtle, is it? No, it's in the face. It's in your face. I, I mean, I, I know that Dembele could have done more on and off the pitch to make his Barcelona time a success, but it really feels like he's being pushed out the door quite in, in a way that doesn't really befit a team like Barcelona or any team. Yeah. It's a bit naff. Um, I don't know why no one's kind of rushing to pick him up because I know there's the injury issues, but this guy's such a talent. I mean, I would I would love it if if a Premier League came, club came in for for Dembele. And it, it seems like from where things are now, Barcelona will just give him to you for nothing. Yeah. It seems, yeah, I agree. I mean, it seems like they're trying to get him off the books. They're mm. trying to get anything for him. Um, it's just weird that they've made multiple attempts and then they've turned their back after claiming multiple attempts. It just feels weird when you're employed to be treated like you're not employed by the by the club anymore. We've talked about it quite a bit, so we don't have to harp on that issue anymore, but it seems like Frankie de Jong was able to come to the rescue. Seems like it probably would have been a bigger deal if they didn't get that result in the 89th minute. Uh, they would have, would have resurfaced again and they would have probably made another tweet about him um, in a negative way to make it even more clear um, or more subtle in their mind. Uh, Athletic Club uh, winning 1-0 over Rio. Uh, Rio suffered their first home defeat of the season. Pretty interesting uh, that they made it this long, Rio Vallecano, um, uh, being able to, to to be this strong at home. But what the game I really want to talk about was the Atletico Madrid-Valencia game. Going to the very, very end, Simeone vindicated for a strange decision to sub Felipe in for João Felix. Um, obviously, come out of it with the with the result. A little bit, a little bit sad to see uh, Valencia not get it because our guy Yunus Musa ended up scoring in that game. But do you think it's time for for the club to sell João Felix? I I forgot by the way how much they paid for him. I, know. I mean, they paid a fortune for him, which means you know I, I I've associated because because Simeone was so comfortable to work him into the team. It felt like he was part of the club longer than he was. Um, or that he came from the club, and I forgot that they spent a hundred plus million on him, 
And now they're seeing this thing not really come to fruition. Do you think that the experiment or not the experiment, but the developmental project of him uh, to pay back that, that, that transfer fee is done and it's time for him to move? Oh, I don't, I, it feels like definitely not. He's still only 21, but it, it, it was all, even at the time, kind of when Atleti signed him, people were sort of going, he's going there. You know, that's not like a, a, a place for a, a young, elegant, but, you know, flighty, creative player. So it's no great surprise. I mean, if Atleti had a vision for what they wanted to get from Jao Felix, they kind of should be working to see it through. But I think if you can get the money, I don't know where the, the other thing, I don't know where the bid comes from. Maybe, yeah. maybe it's Newcastle stay up. Maybe man. I mean, he'd be perfect for a man city, but they probably don't need him. So I think they're probably stuck with persevering with him. It's a, a real colossal waste of money. If you, if he's not a player that fits your identity, I just, so, so many of these things we talk about in La Liga is like, who was advising you to do this? Well, well do, so do you think at a certain point that 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 Simeone was looking to evolve the style of play because you don't bring a player in like that and think naturally? Yeah, you you look at a manager and you go, God, he's got to be smart enough to know that he doesn't fit um, in terms of in terms of uh, the project, in terms of the style of play and the way in which you play uh, necessarily. So, wh- where do you expect him to to blossom? Uh, in this system, do you think that there was a point in time that he was sort of trying to evolve and just kind of defaulted back? Uh, there, there must have been. I see. I see Natalie saying that that Simeone's the one to you know he's he's the one that the game moved on from. And actually, I think there's a degree of truth in that, and we see that in the Champions League that the the way he kind of gravitates back towards doesn't always cut it. But then you know he's winning league titles. Oh, I. Yeah, of course they must have envisaged doing this, but I think you kind of also have to be sufficiently self-aware to say, do I back myself to play Jai Felix when it matters? Because otherwise, what's the point of spending so much money on him? And I I, I think a a self-aware Diego Simeone could surely have told himself that we're not going to build around this guy. He's not going. He's he's too far away from the blueprint. You know, you take steps in that direction. You don't just go. Give me the child, the, the flighty child who'll get bullied off the ball. Yeah. Bizarre. Well, I mean, it's weird. I mean, it's weird though because you look at AC Milan took a chance on Brahim Diaz after going to Real Madrid. The player like that that you can start to build, and he started the season really, really well for them, and mm. and, and and last year as well. Um, and and you start to wait for them to round the corner, right? Phil Foden, same thing, and you go, okay, minutes, minutes, minutes. But it has to be in the right system, I think, and that's that's the hard part. Where I look at a Joe Felix and I go, okay, maybe an AC Milan would be a better club for him where he could be a little bit more of that. I don't mean that club specifically, but in replacement of when Brahim Diaz went there, I look at those types of things and go, okay, could they, could you develop in a system where the ball comes through you more often, or you're considered the playmaker uh, in a lot of ways? I don't know. Cause it just seems like uh, the system doesn't fit. And by the way, we buried the lead a little bit. James Benjamin, that match, incredible match. Yunus Musa opened up the scoring 25th minute. Uh, and Duro scored to make it two nil for Valencia. And then Atletico Madrid staged to come back 64th minute and then 91st and 93rd minute to get that win. So obviously not much Atletico Madrid ball happening there where they grind out small little results, but they found a way uh, to, to, uh, to uh, get the result there. Um, And then uh, look, let's, let's, we're going to skip over the Americans abroad uh, section this week because we've got so much uh, American stuff coming up uh, with the podcast moving forward, knowing that we're going into international break. Uh, So we'll get to that at another time when I have Jimmy Conrad back on, uh, as well, but let's. Uh, did you did you get a chance to see a little bit about the Ajax match uh, at all this week? And obviously, PSV going into it, we're up, um, up in the table. We're above them. Ajax has been all of the talk, but yeah, 
I saw that Masrawi goal, like hook that to my veins. Uh, uh, and, you know, I love me to my acts. I always come on the pod talking about how, how great they are. It would have been mad if they like, because the standards that PSV and Ajax are setting, it would have been mad. I think the goal PSV scored is the fifth Ajax have conceded in the Eredivisie this season. Um, yeah, but PSV were, were on top of the table going yeah, into the weekend, which is wild. They give up four goals only, and they're in second place in the league. Um, and 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 then now they go back top. Ajax do. Uh, let me ask you this: Masrawi's goal or Ziyech's goal for the for the goal of the weekend? Well, I, I was there for Ziyech's goal. I, so actually, I prefer Ziyech's miss. I thought it was incredible. Um, <laughs> but Ziyech's oh, you, but goal. you didn't even get to see the replays at the angles that we do on the, on the TV, where it's like you couldn't have tucked it more top corner <sighs> than than it went. It was it was the way that I was kind of looking at it, and I was like, "You, it, it, time slows down, and it just sits, there and you go, yeah, he's gonna, and it looks like he's put much too much height on it, and it just collapses out of the air in the last minute. Oh, it was amazing. The, my problem, I said this in my piece, he when he scores, he turns around, and I think for a second he's thinking, "I'm not going to celebrate." It would look so, and he set, he ruins it by celebrating. He needed to just turn around walk back into his half and go, what are you all celebrating about? That would have made it. But still, I think ZX was the, the goal of the weekend for me. Yeah, it was a phenomenal, phenomenal goal. But yeah, definitely both uh, both ones to go back and watch if anybody hasn't been uh, been watching the games and just come to us for all the news uh, for, the, for the weekend in review. You definitely want to see those goals, which you can find all over the internet, I'm sure, by now. And if you haven't been on the internet watching, then probably aren't listening to this because you're missing out on on all the good stuff uh james Benz, for your final thoughts obviously balotelli back in the in italy fold ian wright uh had a crazy reaction to his grandson demargio wright phillips scoring his first goal for stoke um any final thoughts on on these types of things i mean maybe we can actually roll that that video i'm not sure if we can throw that on or not um just norris we might get in trouble but yeah just to be super clear, I absolutely do not want to know about Ian Wright's grandchildren playing football. It's disgusting. <laughs> I can remember Ian Wright playing football. I'm I'm 32. How, what is going on here? I don't need to be reminded. I don't need the the grandchildren of of legends of mine to be playing football. It's much too soon. Um, my only other thing to add to the mix, uh, I don't know if anyone's seen the the goal that Man City scored against Arsenal in the WSL. What on earth was going on there? It comes off the referee <laughs> and it stands. Um, but kudos to Tobin Heath back from injury, scoring a massive, massive late equaliser for Arsenal hey, hey. that keeps WSL alive. Well, here's the video, uh, by the way. Equalized. I don't care. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, yeah, for, for, for a bit of context for anyone, uh, Demarzio Wright Phillips Come scores on, the team. goal. They say, uh, trying to get. Trying to get a photo of it. Yeah. Uh, oh. but by the way, that just shows how old he is. He's trying to get a photo on the screen, like really excited about <laughs> it, as if as if he as if the internet wasn't going to pull that for him and do all the work. Um, but yeah, contextually, they say, by the way, Fulham just equalized, and he says, "I don't care." Uh, has his big moment uh, for that, which is which is great to see. And by the way, on the Tobin Heath thing, uh, she's a phenomenal, phenomenal player. I've played pickup with her in the off seasons, and man, I wish I had feet like that. Uh, her ability on the dribble is just incredible oh and by the way the, the last thing i do think is worth mentioning is norwich sergeant as dan kane just said first goal was still the no. best goal of the season no no best goal of the weekend he's, sorry he's fluked that yeah for sure. for sure let's be honest i've seen enough josh sergeant to know he did not have a clue where that ball was coming or where it was going 
Well, that was why he didn't score uh, till now, because he only scores the the world class level of goals. Uh, it, it literally felt like it was off the tip of his stud with that type of spin going off the crossbar, almost not going in. But him having a brace, I think, was a huge huge moment for him. Not called into the national team. I know we're not going to talk about that. Uh, well, I, plenty I, of it going on, but yeah, I was just going to say, I think Dean Smith now has to sort of on a weekly basis just make up. US MNT friendlies because they do seem to happen at random intervals and just go, oh, you know, Josh, uh, Greg said he doesn't want you for this one either. And that'll be enough to keep Norwich up. Well, it is an indicator of like, uh, you know, sometimes you got to have those mental mind games of, of express, you know, especially for these young players who've been in the national team for a long time already and they haven't really had done all that much. When you talk about a player like him, his job is to score goals, does a ton of other work, uh, went to Norwich, probably not to score goals, but potentially score goals and do all that dirty work that they have to do to get results to stay in the league, but could be a motivator for him of, of looking sort of failure in the eyes of not being called into the national team. Uh, and then, and then with a bounce back like that, this certainly seems like there's some correlation uh, between those two things in terms of uh, not getting called in and then getting your first goals. You know, maybe that gives you that little bit of extra edge uh, to, 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 to focus and, and get results. But James Minge, that is it, man. I really appreciate you uh, standing in for us. I know it's late where you are right now, and we appreciate you you joining us. Uh, any, any any final thoughts for the crowd? Any that's that's watching or listening to this? Uh, welcome back to welcome back to the Azuri, Mario Balotelli. How cool is that going to be? Amazing, amazing. Well, that is it from us. Follow K Golasso on Twitter at K Golasso Pod. Subscribe to K Golasso wherever you get your podcasts, and leave us a glowing review. And if you're watching on YouTube. Make sure you smash that like button and subscribe to the channel so you always know whenever we go live. And we'll be back again on Monday for the US MNT Hour where Jimmy and I will be turning our attention to a big couple of weeks ahead as Burhalter's men look to take three steps closer to the World Cup. From myself, James Benj, and our producer, Des Norris, we will see you guys next time.